1: Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hello and welcome to my favorite murder. This is the mini Can
1: you handle our voices like this? <laughs> it's so irritating. <laughs> what if we did this <laughs> the whole time? We're not going to.
0: No. Uh, you want to go first this time? Okay. The subject line of this email is, my birth saved lives and Christmas. Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, hey. Hey, fam. Love you all. This is long, so let's get into it. Here's a story of my birth that you didn't ask for. I'm from a small rural town in Iowa, my family living on the outside of a town on a farm. The next town was 15 minutes away. This is also where the nearest hospital is. On December 24th, 1983, there was a major blizzard, 8 to 10 feet of snow and 90 degrees below zero with the wind. Holy shit. Nine zero degrees <sighs> below zero with the wind. What no. the F? No, no. Of course, this is the day that I decided to grace the world with my presence. Since we lived on a farm, and with the amount of snow and blizzard conditions, there's no way that my mom and dad were going to be able to drive their station wagon to the hospital, so they called the local ambulance. A snowplow picked up the town doctor, this is before (laughs) paramedics and EMT crews, and dropped him with the ambulance, and following the snowplow to my house, they went to pick up my mom and dad. Wow. I mean, I guess people in the Midwest and back East, they have plans for stuff like this. totally, totally. But it's making me panic. Yeah. Like, the snowplow guy must be like, his phone is ringing off the hook. Yeah, and clearly he's a good guy if he'll fucking do that. Yeah, he's not not answering his phone (laughs) on Blizzard Day. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay so with the main roads closed to get to the hospital and a lot of debate on should we do a home birth or not they finally decide to take back roads and head to the hospital. The snowplow led the way as far as they could clearing a path for the ambulance but finally turned back after it was too dangerous for them. These people were all volunteering for their jobs. Oh my god. Now onto the saving of lives. Along the way, because the conditions were life-threatening for anyone stranded in their cars, the ambulance had to stop at every vehicle they saw to make sure that no one was in them. But of course there was. Anyone that was in a vehicle had to climb into the ambulance. Oh, oh so in the back of the ambulance, while my mom was in full active labor, was the doctor, my dad, and four other random people, <laughs> two of which were very drunk. Oh my God. And you <laughs> Fucking imagine.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I mean, they shouldn't have been driving to begin with, but. And
0: you, as the woman in labor, Mm-mm. would be so fucking irritated, livid. At some point, the doctor and my mom decided that she could no longer hold me in. So the ambulance stopped on the road, shoved everyone into the front seat. And there on Christmas Eve, on the side of the road, in the back of the ambulance, in the middle of a blizzard, I was born. Because I decided to be extremely inconvenient from day one, my birth (laughs) saved four people that morning and Christmas for their families who would have been spending the day mourning rather than celebrating if I hadn't been born that day. All right. You're overdoing it a little bit. There are so many more details to this story that I can only be told by my mom, but one of my favorite parts is in 2018 when my dad passed away on December 22nd, one of the ladies that we saved saw in the newspaper that he had passed and came to his funeral to finally introduce herself to the baby that saved her life. (gasps) Oh, this is obviously my mom's favorite Christmas story to tell. And 39 years later, my older brother still rolls his eyes every time it's told. (laughs) And then a parentheses, it says, the poor forgotten child of the day. And Mm -hmm. then in inside parentheses, it says, insert my eye roll. And then all those parentheses close. And then it says, but I earned the nickname Sarah Snowstorm for life. Yes. Thank you for all you do. When my dad died and I couldn't listen to a single song without bursting into tears. It was your podcast that distracted me from the grief. Mm -hmm. Stay sexy and all caps, stay home in a blizzard. (laughs) There won't always be a Christmas Eve baby to save you sarah snowstorm she her
1: <laughs> oh my god uh, that one is pretty epic it's so good that's really good yeah they would have died right because there's no cell phones they would have died in their car i, mean,
0: I was joking but yes, yes if they were trapped on the road 90 un- below 90 minus 90 Mindy. Mindy degrees are you <laughs> kidding me <laughs> that's the coldest
1: it's ever been mm-hmm. okay my first one's called vacation murder hometown Hello, mostly to the pets and everyone else, I guess. I can't believe no one sent in my hometown yet. It's infamous in this area, but I've never seen it covered by a true crime show or podcast. Their entire lives, my grandparents split their time between Florida, where all old Jews must go in the winter, <laughs> and northern Michigan. So even though I didn't grow up here, I spent a lot of my childhood in the tip of the mitt. Mm-hmm. One of the true crime story people are always ready to talk about up here are the good heart murders. I think the name is appropriately ominous, right? Anyway, the story starts when the 1960s New Money Robeson family from Detroit purchased a lake cottage in the tiny village of Goodheart. The Robesons traveled a lot as a family looking for new properties to buy. So the neighbors hadn't found it unusual that the family was gone for weeks until the next door neighbor was setting up her bridge party. And then in parentheses, it says 1960s and asked the groundskeeper to find out what the nasty smell was that was coming from the Robeson cottage. He thought it would be a dead raccoon or something, but when he couldn't find the source, he opened the front door. The groundskeeper found Mr. and Mrs. Robeson and all four of the kids dead and decomposing with the heater cranked all the way up to high for some reason. Mm -hmm. They had been there for 27 days. I think I did this at a Detroit show. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a rural police department in the 1960s, they kind of totally fucked up the crime scene by letting journalists and looky-loos walk through the house before anyone who knew what to do with a murder could get there. The police ended up pointing a lot of fingers, but the person who seemed most likely was Mr. Robeson's business partner, Joe Scolaro. It turns out Scolaro had been stealing tens of thousands of 1960s dollars, so like hundreds of thousands now, question mark, from Robeson's businesses. There are a lot of other tiny details and pieces of evidence in the book about the murders when evil came to Goodhart, but this email is already long enough. In the end, right as the police have collected enough evidence to convict him nearly a decade later, Scolaro killed himself, and because the state of Michigan doesn't let the police close a case because it's gone cold, the case is still technically open. Hmm.
0: Katie. Wow. It's just fucked up and sad. Yeah. Wow. Also, it's just... When we get those stories and we hear those stories where it's like for business and for greed, basically someone kills an entire family.
1: It's like, I hate the the ones that are like, you fucked up your life and so you're killing someone else because of your bad decisions. It's not like they fucked up your life. You fucked up your life and their life. And now you're going to kill them to cover it up somehow. It's like, not
0: fucking fair. But it's also a sign that there are like sociopaths yeah. or, and or psychopaths among yeah. us, where it's like those people, it doesn't register to them. It's literally like finishing a can of soda and throwing it away. It's on par. And there's
1: a solution.
0: Yeah. Which is just like, oh my God, it's just so horrifying that yeah. those people are around us. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account And it tells you that your password is incorrect. And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But... Scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try.
1: 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises.
0: If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords,
1: autofill everything from usernames to payouts, payment details and personal info. They'll also
0: notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that saved time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us.
1: I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash mfm onepassword.com slash
0: mfm okay let's take a quick left turn let's to this email subject line is bowling alley babysitter <laughs> hey guys i love listening to your podcast i grew up in gainesville florida and was in college when danny rawlings <gasps> was killing college students holy shit so frightening One of my instructors interviewed Ted Bundy and told us all about meeting him. I read True Crime because my dad would leave books and magazines around, so I got hooked. You asked for 12-year-old stories, (laughs) and here's mine. (laughs) That's real specific of us. Yes, it is. I am a child of the 70s. My parents had very little money and lots of kids. They did, however, join a bowling league, and they bowled on Tuesday and Fridays for years. Mm. I kind of love two nights a week.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're like, we are going to have a life too. Yes. Outside of this children thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is how they made it work. We yeah. kids were too young to stay at home at night by ourselves. And like I said, we were broke. <laughs> broke is in all caps. So when they went bowling, we went too. <laughs> That's <laughs> fun. Yeah. That meant my dad would give us four quarters at the start of the night so we could play in the game room, get snacks from the vending machine, Mm. run around the bowling alley with no supervision. Mm. Once my mom sent me to get her a pina colada from the dark, smoky bar that was there in the bowling alley, (laughs) and my dad sent me for cigarettes out of the vending machine on more than one occasion. Absolutely. That was like part of your job as like a six-year-old in the 70s. You're basically a bartender. Yeah. And a child. You're like a cigarette butler. (laughs) It's Very common. I even called my first grade teacher from the payphone one night around 9 p.m. and woke her up. My mom <laughs> saw me talking on the phone and intervened. And let me tell you, I got in big trouble. Oh, that. my God. What was she thinking? Here's the thing. I bet, I bet a lot of the youngsters today have questions about how that was possible. I'll tell you how it was possible. <laughs> she sat there looking through the phone book for people's <gasps> last names that she knew. <sighs> And found her teacher. Yeah. Oh, Mrs. So and so. Let's see what she's up to. I love my teacher. I'm going to call her at nine on a weeknight. (laughs) (laughs) And the teacher's just like, Do I need to go save this child? Right. Like, what is is she being harmed in any way? Right. Honey, tell me what part of the bowling alley you're in right now. Yeah. And then it says, But here's my story. One Friday night, the babysitter at the bowling alley quit. Okay. So there was a babysitter at this bowling alley. That's hilarious. Yeah. So here, all these people with small children and nobody want to watch their children. The manager asked my mom if I could watch the kids. There were roughly 20 kids, five (gasps) and under. I would get paid $50 a night for four hours. And then it just says, can you imagine hiring a 12-year-old to watch kids for four hours? (laughs) Also, can you imagine a parent seeing one 12-year-old when you walk in to drop your child off and thinking that that's a good idea?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Anything goes back then.
0: It was mayhem. One kid realized I had very little control over the situation, and I had to call the front office. His mother was very mad at me. I was like, little Johnny will not listen and is throwing things. I got to do that for about a month before they found someone else. Oh, that's a lot of money, though, too. That's what we're moving on to. That babysitting money was the best money I made as a babysitter, so I was sad when it ended. However, I was able to buy my first pair of Nikes that year and even bought myself a pair of jeans. My parents stopped taking us soon after that. They figured if I was old enough to babysit there, then I could stay home with no pay and keep my brothers. (laughs) We watched a lot of Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Love Boat, and Fantasy Island. Yes. Yep. I had a huge crush on Gopher. We all did, girl. Anyways, thanks for keeping me smiling on my long walks at times when I needed a good old murder to jolt me back to reality. Stay sexy and don't use the bowling alley for your babysitting needs. Lori. <laughs> Lori, which is one of the great names of the 70s that it oh, will yeah. be lost to time. That's true.
1: Yeah. Whew, good one. Right? Babysitting stories. Please send those in. Please. This one's called Sunken Treasure and Accidental Grave Robbing. Hello to my favorite fellow Angelinos. I always imagine running into one of you while shopping at the Grove or at a comedy show in Santa Monica and reacting like I just saw an old friend. <laughs> well, we don't go to the West Side, so that's...
0: No one no. over here goes to the West Side. That's right. Sorry. We might as well yeah. live live across the country from <laughs> right. each other.
1: You guys, on the other hand, would have no idea who I was and wonder why a five foot six blonde woman was running up to you, eyes wide with excitement and probably call security. No, we, no, wouldn't. we wouldn't. We know what that looks like.
0: <laughs> we, we know the look. We're just
1: as happy to see you. <laughs> that being said, I can't imagine my two hour commute every day without your banter. And in my book, we are besties for life. We are. I recently decided to say screw you to my anxiety and tackle my scuba diving certification. Whoa. I know. It's a big deal. While on the dive boat, I made friends with a fellow diver. Let's call her Stephanie, who already had her certification. While asking her about her diving adventures, she told me this story and I immediately knew I had to write it in. One day while on a dive, Stephanie discovered what she thought to be a sunken treasure resting on the ocean floor. Filled with excitement, she swam down and retrieved the shimmering silver object. It was filled with sand, but she emptied it out and brought it carefully up to the surface to show her friend on the boat. What she held in her hands looked like an ancient silver vase, and she was already imagining displaying it proudly in her home and telling all of her friends and family how she had found it at the bottom of the ocean. Upon closer examination of the treasure, her friend exclaimed... Stephanie, that's not a vase, that's an urn. Oh, she had emptied it out of the sand that was in it. Oh,
0: no, remember that
1: little bit? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Realizing her mistake, Stephanie quickly resumed her dive and returned the urn to its resting place at the bottom of the sea and decided to give up treasure hunting for the rest
0: of the trip. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
1: I am proud to say I now have my official open water diving certification, and I'm already planning to write in about all of the treasures I find in the ocean to my favorite podcasters. Please. Hell yeah, please.
0: Every nickel that you find down there I want to hear about. For real. Stay sexy and leave grandma's
1: remains at the bottom of the ocean where they belong. Linnae.
0: Um... They don't belong there, though. That's the thing. Is that
1: legal? Don't you have to have like a permit or something?
0: It's people. Like, it seems maybe not. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wonder how long they've been there. Yeah. Probably looked ancient. It's troubling. Such a different thing of like, I found ancient treasure. And then it's yeah. like, I literally found someone threw this off probably this same boat. Yeah. Eight <laughs> months ago. Oh, man. Okay, this is probably one of the most exciting emails to me that we've ever received. Oh, my God. Because it goes into one of my specialty interests. And the subject line is Bigfoot Hometown Connection. Whoa. Get ready. Okay. This is pretty major. It says, hello, esteemed murder friends and pets of all breeds and creeds. Huh. I'm a late joiner to the cult of Murderino, although it was actually in 2020, so maybe not that late. Mm -hmm. My best friend told me about the podcast when it first began airing in 2016, and I quote, wasn't into podcasts then. <laughs> <laughs> when I was faced with several long solo drives, I suddenly understood podcasts. I think that's what it takes for most yeah. people. Yeah. By the way, I am one of the people who listens to your podcasts at work. I work in catering. So most of my day is spent <laughs> slicing bagels or making salads. And a podcast is the perfect <laughs> companion. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I do finish up my day with admin work, and it can be difficult to not swear when I answer the phone when I have a podcast in one ear. <laughs> my hometown and current city is Charlotte, North Carolina. I've previously submitted a story about Charlotte and one about Tallahassee, Florida, where I lived for five years. But listening to the episode where y'all introduce Roz Hernandez whoop, 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 whoop. goes to by Roz Hernandez, our new hit podcast about ghosts. Please listen if you can. Reminded me of Charlotte's connection to Bigfoot. So please prepare for a story you definitely haven't asked for, but I think you'll enjoy. (laughs) There's a legendary costume shop here in Charlotte called Morris Costumes. It's like a mile from my apartment, so I am there often. It's a true superstore with everything from dancewear to tuxedo rentals and plenty more. I even bought an Elvis jumpsuit there for $15. This store has been open since the 60s, Uh. and the owner, Philip Morris... And then it says, in parentheses, I have no idea if he's related to that Philip Morris, since it is North Carolina, I'm gonna say there's a possibility. Hmm. So the owner, Philip Morris, has sold costumes all over the place and is apparently known for his gorilla costumes. In 1967, Roger Patterson reached out to him to order a gorilla costume (gasps) since his prices were the best around. He even asked for, parentheses, and received guidance on how to make the costume look more realistic. According to Morris, when he saw the famed Patterson and Gimlin film of Bigfoot, which is the one we all know of the Bigfoot walking away with his swinging arms, looking over his shoulder in the creek bed, he recognized his (gasps) costume. He said he never said anything about it because he would be revealing another illusionist's secret. Uh, uh I love that so much, but then I also love that like, if you live in Charlotte, you'd probably know this story. Totally.
1: Oh, I want to go to that store so bad.
0: Yeah, I it love it. amazing. I hope your travels bring you back to Charlotte one day so you can check out Morris Costumes. Oh. Georgia would really enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> George would really enjoy the Sleepy Poet Antiques Mall. Fun mm. fact: Back when I used to do ballet and bought my dancewear at Morris Costumes, I performed in the Nutcracker on the very same stage y'all were on. Oh, when we performed in Charlotte, that was that was this person's ballet stage. Oh. and then it says, "I guess I should think of a clever sign-off. Stay sexy <laughs> and keep the receipt of your gorilla costume." Rita, they, she. <laughs> Yeah, that I guess that's one little thing they didn't think
1: through is like they had to buy the costume from someone. Right. Like you should have
0: made it. Right? I guess I assumed they had it made by a person that then yeah. promised to keep the secret.
1: Or did you assume that it was real? <laughs>
0: really Bigfoot. Me personally? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that was my first pass. I yeah. I loved the idea that it was like, well, they caught him. They caught him on camera. Yeah. Look at yeah. him go. <gasps> That's
1: hilarious. Yeah, right. I can't get away with jack shit. Is this is the story on here. Oh, here. This one's called what teachers do when they go into narcoleptic zombie mode, lighthearted two minute, 30 second read. <laughs> <laughs> That's my last one. Yeah. Kind of long. Actually, it's two minutes and 30 seconds long. I was listening to Minisode 344 and heard the sleepwalking story and your call for more of those. Though this is not technically a sleepwalking story, it is an oddball tale of what happens when the line between being asleep and being awake becomes blurred. Hmm. You see, I have narcolepsy. It is a sleeping disorder that messes with your sleep-wake cycle, causing your subconsciousness to sort of take over sometimes. Patients have trouble staying awake, especially while doing menial tasks. Instead of just falling asleep or zoning out when filling out that boring spreadsheet, as others would, narcoleptics go through something called automatic behavior. Mm. This is what happens when your body remains awake, but your brain does not. In other words, whatever you're doing that puts you to, quote, sleep, you just keep doing, but you do so in full-on zombie mode. (laughs) I'm a teacher and the most tedious part of my job is correcting writing assignments and writing feedback for my students. So those are my danger zones as an narcoleptic. You can see how this can become somewhat of a problem at times. My students think I am absolutely horrible at math. I am, but not this bad. Yeah. Since I've handed back countless assignments that were graded 78 out of 10. <laughs> I've also had many students approach me discreetly and hesitantly to ask about the, quote, interesting feedback I had added to their writing assignments. One said, quote, good work, Frank, but I feel you could have described the toothless druid in the dilapidated barn in more vivid details so as to improve the suspense level of your story, end quote. Frank's writing assignment was, in fact, an argumentative essay about the death penalty and had, you guessed it, zero mentions of druids or barns in it, dilapidated or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Besides in my job, narcolepsy also tends to make my home life more interesting. I found my phone in our freezer, dryer, inside one of my shoes, as well as placed squarely in the middle of our driveway. Oh. <laughs> it's just like her walking out to the driveway. I just love that visual. Put it right
0: down and walked, walk back inside.
1: My keys somehow end up in my sock drawer a lot. I have also had many discussions with my boyfriend swearing up and down that I did take the trash out to then find the trash spread out all over our garden with the empty trash bags neatly hung out to dry on a tree branch. <laughs> <laughs> he was not amused by my comment that I had technically taken the trash outside. Mm. Narcolepsy is, of course, not a joke and has profound impact on my life as it does for all of those who suffer from it. But I'd rather laugh than cry about it on most days. And luckily, so does my boyfriend. He's a firefighter who has put out many, many figurative and even literal fires that my narcoleptic autopilot started. Hmm. He's upset at Karen because he had been on my case for years about how I should clean out the lint trap of our dryer, but I only started doing it after Karen mentioned it on the podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. Thank uh-huh. you for reading and for all you do. I've lost both my grandparents in the past two years. They were my favorite people on the planet and your podcast has been absolutely essential in getting me through the raw grief that comes with losing people that you love that much you're the best, love from Belgium, Marie, she, her.
0: Marie is a narcoleptic from Belgium?
1: Yeah. Wow. She's fun to talk to at parties
0: unless you bore her. She, she, then she's just like, you are. you are the kind of thing that puts me to yeah. public sleep. Wow. Nice one. I've never known anyone with like actual narcolepsy. That's really interesting. I know. Well, the only one I've ever heard is, you know, Jimmy Kimmel. Is narcoleptic. And that was the thing he made jokes about when he first started because his show was live in the beginning. And I think there was like concern or whatever. I think he came clean early of like, this is a possibility. Wow. I know, right? Well, I
1: guess it's so exciting on stage. You probably don't fall asleep then, right?
0: I would hope not. That would be a real judgment on your uh, interview. (laughs) You're like, wait, I have this quick story about, oh. Yeah. How Harry Styles just makes me fall right to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well thanks everybody for another great episode your emails are endlessly fascinating to us and right. if you have a story for us and at this point it could be literally about anything <laughs> especially if you're from belgium yeah. please send it to my murder at gmail.com
1: and if you want one extra story from each of us join the fan cult we do it every week they're
0: all there and also stay sexy and
1: don't get murdered Goodbye. Goodbye. elvis do you want a cookie This has been an exactly right production. Our senior producer is Alejandra Keck. Our editor is Aristotle Acevedo. This episode was mixed by Liana Squalacci.
0: Email your hometowns to myfavoritemurder@gmail.com at gmail.com.
1: And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and on Twitter at myfavemurder. Goodbye.